0: Welcome to the Being Giants podcast, a show by academics for academics. My name's Joyce, and I'm one of your hosts. This week, I'm speaking with Dr. John Fleming, a senior scientist at the Center for Biological Diversity. We'll talk about his work at the Science Policy Interface. We'll also discuss a little bit of the issues in diversity and inclusion in earth sciences. This episode is presented by Be Giants Media. You can find us online and on Twitter, and we'd love to hear from you. As always, thanks for listening. My guest is Dr. John Fleming. John received his Bachelor's of Science in Geosciences from Princeton University, and then he went to the University of Southern California for a PhD in Earth Sciences. After that, he joined the Center for Biological Diversity in Los Angeles as a staff scientist, where he is now a senior scientist. Thanks for being on the show, John.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So I wonder if um, I really want to get into your current work, but I think it would help Uh, to first back up and talk about how you got interested in science and how you uh, ended up doing geoscience at Princeton. Because I think in this show, we talk a lot about how geology is kind of a discovery major. A lot of us don't grow up being like, I'm going to be a geologist.
1: True. (laughs) And I I have the same experience. Um, So growing up, I I always knew I was interested in science or so it was just always just a given, like I never thought of doing anything else. Um, but it was a bit of a journey coming to what exactly that would be. I was also kind of easily influenced, like there was this chemist on TV once who like, made perfumes. I was like, I want to be a chemist. And, you know, I liked More classic but like star trek and star wars so i thought about aerospace engineering and astrophysics which those actually kind of stuck around once even i remember in ninth grade uh, a plant pathologist came to visit and talk about his work and i was like i want to be a plant pathologist but when i finally was applying to schools um, for college i would settled on actually astronomy and physics so I, i applied to only five schools geared towards physics. And I'd always thought I would go to Georgia Tech. Um, I'm from Georgia, so I thought I'd go to Georgia Tech. It was just always the place I wanted to go. But I also applied to University of Georgia. And and one of the other places was Princeton. And that's just because in my senior year, my physics teacher said, oh, Princeton has a good (laughs) physics program. And I said, sure, why not? Like I never thought about Ivy League schools really or the idea of going to one. Honestly, I was like, they're all the same. So I'll just go, I'll try this one and just see what happens. I'm going to Georgia Tech anyway. So I applied and obviously I got in. (laughs) And they're actually, Princeton is very good with aid in terms of grants versus loans. So it was actually affordable for me to go also. And that's what I ended up choosing. Part of it was that Georgia Tech actually didn't have as good of an aid package as Princeton ended up having. And UGA was was similar. Like UJ offered me a, a, like a great undergrad fellowship, but there was this other fellowship that you took like trips every semester, and I didn't get that. And I was like, oh, well, maybe maybe Princeton is a place to go. So I went to Princeton thinking I would do astronomy and physics, and then I took a couple of semesters of physics, and I realized I didn't really like it actually. And around that time, I did take a a geosciences course and it was this actually an astrobiology course, so it was this interdisciplinary class where there was a chemistry professor, a biology professor, uh, an earth sciences professor and I really liked how interdisciplinary it was and it culminated with this this trip in the fall to Yellowstone, which was a really fun trip. And I decided, oh, I really liked that I can kind of pick from pieces of different science areas and put it into this one thing. So that's what I ended up majoring in.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I I love for a lot of us, like um, we grow up thinking we we're going to go to state schools and it ends up being cheaper to go to these like fancy private schools, other places, because they do get a lot of grants and yeah, it's quite cool. Um, yeah, and I love that, I can't believe you went to Yellowstone as like a, your first geoscience class. That'll really, uh, hook you in.
1: It was very cold. It was October, so it was freezing, but, but still a, still a good experience, though. So, yeah.
0: So, okay, so you're going through your undergrad at Princeton, and did you, did you always think, oh, I'll go to grad school after this, or how did you decide that you'd go get a PhD after that?
1: I did, and, and. In some ways, I think I was kind of on autopilot, where I was like, oh, I'm going to go to, I'm going to major in the science, and I'm going to get a PhD, and I'm going to become a professor. And I, I'm i not sure I ever stopped to think about what that meant, or did I really want those things, or yeah, what it meant to, to do that, and what that path really entailed. Um, but yeah, leaving, I, I did, it was my plan to go to grad school um, and get a PhD. I remember only applying to four places. One was Penn State, and that's because I'd done a summer program there. And, you know, my advisor for that summer program really liked me, and and that would have been kind of in soil chemistry kind of work. And then I applied to Caltech and Berkeley because at this point, because I had like an astrobiology kind of undergrad project. So I was thinking, oh, I really want to pull in more kind of, you know, where microbiology meets geosciences. So I looked for advisors that did that kind of work, and there was someone at Caltech and someone at Berkeley. Um, So at this point, I have three places I've applied to, and then around me, Um, because one thing to keep in mind was around the time I graduated was the, the start of the recession. So Princeton was funneled a lot of people towards investment banking, for instance, and when that stuff was starting to kind of go down. Um, people were frantic and applying to a lot of things, applying to grad schools and like 10, 20 places. And I'm like, here I am with three places. I'm not that confident. So I went looking for another place to apply to and USC was actually the last place. And I think I applied in December and and I hadn't even... I think I was a little late taking my GRE, and and it's funny that that's the place I ended up going to. Um, but my after I applied, my advisor actually reached out my later to be advisor um, reached out to me and said, "Oh, you should come visit, and you know, I think you would be eligible for this fellowship here." So, oh, and the thing about that was that I actually on our applications we had to write people we were interested in working with. And I think my advisor was maybe third on the list.
0: And you didn't even reach out to him at first, you just put his name down?
1: No, I didn't. Um, I just kind of looked on the side and like, who's working on interesting things? And and one of his grad students at the time was doing this work with microelectrodes, doing these oxygen measurements, which I thought was interesting but I actually, yeah, my first choice was someone else who was, turned out to be like this very big name in his field, and so my later advisor reached out to me and said, you know, he's very busy in <laughs> that he doesn't, he probably won't have time to like really focus on you, and you know, I would be able to, and so I, I visited and and that's kind of how that happened, and just going back to the the impact of the recession, my The cohort, when I started, started with 17 people, which they really weren't expecting because normally it's around like 10 people. Um, funny enough, a lot of those people ended up leaving a little earlier, like with master's or, or what have you. But I remember, like, parent there was a conversation about how are we going to support <laughs> this many students because we didn't expect this many to accept, but it was like there weren't any jobs out there really. So a lot of people ended up applying to these grad programs and going.
0: That's how I ended up at USC. Oh, nice. And I guess also, I know, like, your former advisor, Will Barrelson, he, I think he's talked about how they got a lot of grants during the recession, too. So I guess that probably helped a little bit. Or, like, the stimulus package included some science grants. Is that right?
1: I think so, but, yeah. I mean, because they figured it out somehow. (laughs) So
0: So you mentioned that you did... um, a project at Penn State. And I was curious if you could talk about like how you ended up doing that and if it was through like REU or something.
1: Yeah, it was an REU and, and I applied. Um, and yeah, I was looking at the kind of the soil microbe assemblage of the Susquehanna Hills, um, which is a area in Citral, Pennsylvania. I mean, it was a fun experience um, actually. While I was at Princeton, I did get to do a couple of summer things, which I really enjoyed. Like one, one maybe after my sophomore year, I did a like a summer program in Bermuda, like so an oceanography type summer course. And then then the year after that, I did the the REU at um, Penn State, and it was a good experience. Um, so yeah, which is of course why I applied there. Um, But honestly, by the time I was graduating, I was, there was a location aspect to where I wanted to go. Um, I mean, so I'd gone to Princeton, which was, we called it the Princeton bubble. It was pretty insulated, so people, you know, stayed on campus and pretty much stuck around campus. You could go into New York for like an hour, you know. It took like an hour to get to New York, and like some people did that, but... I never really did, so I was kind of looking for a a change, and I was like, oh, uh, California, bigger city, that that would be fun, and and so um that's what I ended up doing. Um, but yeah, the summer the summer experiences um, were fun and actually kept me on track for wanting to continue <laughs> with with science and going to grad school. So. Oh yeah, those were good.
0: So yeah, can you talk about what your PhD was like a little bit, and like, I guess the overall experience, and also if you want some of the science.
1: Sure. Um, what was it like? Um, you know, it, it's always, I, I, well, I, I still say it's like probably the hardest thing I've done <laughs> is to to get through that whole process. Um, but you know, at the time, I maybe it was once again kind of this autopilot thing. Like I wasn't like really. I mean, there like definitely towards the end, I was very, very stressed out and bogged down. But um, a lot of it was just going through the motions and just uh, working through it. Um, you know, I, I will talk about my specific project, but you know, there were some some bumpy moments in there. The earliest one actually was, I. I had a hard time finding a project. So my advisor was like suggesting these projects and I would try them out and I would, they just didn't seem to, to be able to go anywhere. Like I would say, this doesn't make any sense. This isn't really working. I don't know. Because um, cause my advisor did have a lot of, you know, let's try this new idea. And, and I was like that, like I remember there was something involving like sucking CO two out of bubbles and I'm like, I don't know how that's going to work. And it was just uh so so I so I was just trying these things out and it turns out, you know, my advisor, his perspective was that, you know, I'm throwing you all these projects and you're not really taking them anywhere. So this was all before qual's qualifying exams. And so before my qualifying exams, my advisor wanted to talk to me and he said, Oh, I question your motivation to you know to, to do this and he's like so one option would be to like just give you a project and then you get a master's and then we like see you know where things are after that and i really didn't like that or the suggestion of that cause it was suggesting i wasn't working hard or i didn't have what it took to stick it out so i pretty much rejected that idea and i came up with a project and i i did quals and i passed quals you know so which i think proved something to him um and so i ended up on this project once again using the you know i told you about the one of the other grad students who was working with these microelectrodes and we overlapped them so he taught me how to use them so we settled on this project of measuring oxygen uptake rates um off the coast of southern california um, Specifically, San Pedro Basin, um, and kind of how those rates respond to to carbon inputs, nutrient inputs. So it was a lot of um, kind of incubation experiments, kind of to characterize like what the microbial community was doing in terms of oxygen um, off the coast. With the bigger tie-in being that this area and around the the world, really, you're seeing these declines in oxygen concentrations, which you know, are likely, you know, linked to climate change and kind of kind of taking a step to characterize specifically what was going on off the coast. Um so that involved um between t- twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen these kind of bi weekly cruises. So we go out like early in the morning and collect a bunch of samples and come back and um and I would like set up these incubations and then so I'd take a a week to kind of process samples and then a week to run samples and then like do it again. Um, so, um, and that, yeah, and that was what my dissertation became. Um, it wasn't an easy project. I mean, no, not, not saying no one's projects easy, but like in terms of like, um, I'll just say I wasn't especially prolific in terms of publications or anything like that. Cause it was, I think ultimately, um, it was probably not the best method to answer the questions we were trying to answer. Um, Like it kind of ended up being, we have these microelectrodes, no one's using them, let's see how we can use them to answer this question. And I think, you know, the best way is kind of to go the other way. Like we have these questions, what tools do we need to answer them? So I think that was kind of a a shortcoming of the project. but you know, I, I powered through and I I did finish <laughs> and and um yeah I actually um preparing for this I did go back and, and look at it my dissertation again and I was like oh that was a lot of work um <laughs> but um yeah um but like I said in the moment I, I mean during the experience I wasn't. I mean, it got very, like I said, it got very stressful at the end. And I'm sure we'll go into transitioning out of of academia soon. But that became stressful. Um, but yeah, I think there I once again, I was a bit on autopilot. Like, this is just what I have to do to, like, push on to the next thing. So I just kept going. But you know, looking back, it it's still, you know, even compared to, you know, my work now, like still the most difficult thing I, I've powered through.
0: Yeah well that's good that it it didn't get any harder (laughs) (laughs) right? right. (laughs) and it's kind of interesting to me because i think for for me during my phd the peak uh difficulty and stress was kind of quads um for for some reason i think that just felt like a lot of pressure to me so i'm really curious to hear like yeah, at what point did you kind of realize you were on autopilot and that maybe you didn't want to just keep plowing through and go into a postdoc? Like how how did you end up transitioning from academia to what you're doing now? And um yeah, what was what was that like?
1: So I guess around my fourth year or so. Well, you know, I thought about, okay, so the next step would be a a postdoc, like that's what, it's the typical. And to me, that felt like that would just be an extension of grad school. And I wasn't enjoying my experience anymore. Like it was just such a, such pressure to produce new meaningful results to publish to, um, yeah, it just felt like a, a pressure cooker. And I didn't. As if I, just, I feel like I need to do something different that 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 feels good in. And actually, you know, one thing I did enjoy was being a TA. So I, I did consider. You know, there's teaching faculty. There's. Um, I also said environmental consulting, but that was before I realized what that fully is. Um, but I. So deciding that you know, based on my grad school experience, I would, you know, that I didn't want to continue down that path. I ended up with kind of these three paths that I that made sense. I was like, okay, so maybe I should look into environmental consulting, um, teaching, and the third being kind of science policy type of work. So, the first one actually was the teaching, so I, I did apply to places, um, including actually at USC in the environmental studies program. Um, and I actually, I feel like they liked me and actually they tried to make a way for it to work, but actually someone else who was a former grad student actually in biology anyway, EEB um, or whatever, um, actually had gone away for a couple of years and had done adjunct faculty teaching and then came back and was applying at the same time so that's ultimately the person who got in. they were like well maybe there's this like other program through the dean's office or something where you might still be able to get money to like be a lecturer and then that didn't work out um but i also applied at like santa monica college and i did get a offered an adjunct spot but just thinking about how tough that is you know being adjunct faculty you probably need a few Positions to you know you know live, and that wasn't so that that would that would have been a tough road to travel i feel um so the third was so another one was environmental consulting, and I did apply to kind of i'll take a step back in that I had you know read things about how to transition and you need to network and do informational interviews so I actually tried some of that stuff and um so I connected with some people who had gone to USC and actually were in, you know, Earth Sciences department in the past who ended up doing environmental consulting. So I spoke to a couple of them and through one of them I actually did get an interview with an environmental consulting firm and they had this like interview weekend and I went through that and um I remember they had us actually interview in kind of groups. Well, like there was this like intro section, but yeah, there was this no, there were kind of group interviews. Um and everyone was like so impressed that I had a PhD but I, that honestly made me like too specifically like overqualified basically for what they were looking for. So I didn't ultimately well, I didn't didn't get that, which is it's a good thing that I'd apply it to this other job, which is the one I have now, which I'll talk about, because I actually thought the environmental consulting job was going to work out because I had gotten so far in the process. And um but i had also applied to the center for biological diversity they were looking for a staff scientist in their climate law institute which is basically just their program that does climate work and you know i would like to you know for all the networking and stuff i was trying to do that's not how i got that job i literally saw it online and applied and and months went by because there is it is a pretty slow i mean now that i've worked there you know it's there's a pretty slow process for hiring people and i experienced some of that um and that kind of ties into how i was stressed at the end of grad school because i actually extended my time at usc for a semester because i didn't have a job yet and so i was able to ta and and stick around another semester Um, but yeah so months went by um in those months Yeah, months went by and then at some point I I got a response saying, oh, we want to do a phone interview. So I did a phone interview with who now is my direct boss, you know, the science director. And then following that, there was a, I flew up to Oakland, which was like their main office at the time for the climate work. And then there I interviewed with the science director and the program director, and then a couple of the attorneys. And there's like a whole day of like interviews like couple of the attorneys and then the media specialist who, cause there's a media component to the work we do and paralegals. And I went out to lunch with a bunch of people. So it was like a whole day of, of interviewing. And then I came back and then at the time there wasn't even an LA office. So I would have been working from home a hundred percent anyway, which I, I did do for like a year or so. Um, but we later got a we later got an LA office. Um, but at the time there was one other person in my program who was in LA. So then it was suggested that I meet with her, so then I met with her, and and so all these steps, and then I was waiting to hear back after that, and during that time, actually, I heard back from Santa Monica College, and they were like, oh, if you want this adjunct faculty spot, it's yours, and I actually turned it down, which was kind of a risk, because. but I was like, I feel like the interview went well, and they flew me up there, and but now I know that they must have flown someone else up there too. <laughs> like they 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 don't just interview one person; they do interview two or three people. So there was a chance <laughs> I'm thinking that I wouldn't have gotten this job, and I would have given up another one. Um, but yeah, so I ended up um, at the Center for Biological Diversity, and and looking back, you know, I, I this is much. I, I really enjoy the work I do now, and environmental consulting, probably I wouldn't have enjoyed as much, I'll say, because cause now I've learned more about exactly what it is and, and kind of what it involves. And, and yeah, just probably not for me.
0: Yeah. So I would love to talk a little more about the Center of Biological Diversity, because I think... I didn't really know what it was until I was like kind of looking more into it, like I'm prep for this. And it's like, it, it seems really cool.
1: It is. Yeah. So the, the center actually started from a, from a place focused on endangered species. Um, and, and now it it's since then has expanded. So there are a number of programs. There's endangered species program, like just some examples. I'm not sure I'll be able to remember to all of them but endangered species there's oceans there's the climate law institute which i'm a part of um there's energy justice there's population sustainability environmental health um and and some others (laughs) um and so they're all so yeah so the focus is on so we have attorneys to make sure you know law environmental laws aren't being violated and The scientists to offer kind of this support to the science side of the support for whatever arguments we are trying to make or whatever campaigns we're having and then we another big component are At least for you know our conservation work, you know, there are other people who are very important to this process too. Um, we have organizers and campaigners who kind of do you know a lot of the public engagement to get people publicly um, behind um, Behind the work Um, so if you're talking about the endangered species program, they're making sure that whatever, you know, projects that are being approved, for instance, um, if it's a new development or or something like that, that they're not it's not a project that it's failing to consider endangered species that may be in the area. That's that's just, just one example. And public lands is very is their part of their role is, you know, what's happening on federal lands and so, you know, with the uh, Oil and gas leasing on federal lands. You know, President Biden came up with this, you know, executive order talking about, you know, a halt on, on leasing on federal lands, which is, you know, something that the Public Lands Program has worked really hard with their, you know, keep it in the ground campaign for fossil fuels. Um, and the climate and the Climate Law Institute. Um, there's some overlap with some of those things because, you know, also since we're talking about climate, we're talking about ultimately um, transitioning away from fossil fuels that's going to overlap with some of what public lands is doing in terms of wanting to end this, you know, federal leasing. Um, So, in terms of So, in terms of, I guess, an example of how the different roles might interact between, you know, the legal and the science and the organizing. So, a couple of one campaign we're working on um, is around aviation there's a a rule came out from the epa regulating aircraft emissions but the problem is that the rule doesn't actually and admits that it doesn't actually produce any additional um, emissions reductions it's just a way to um, satisfy this international standard so like we can still fly internationally so so one thing is kind of Um, The legal part of that would be potentially filing a suit saying you're not satisfying what the Clean Air Act requires by putting out this rule. And then the science would be, here the, by not putting in this rule, you're, you know, committing us to more CO2 emissions. And these are kind of the health impacts associated with those emissions. This is the climate impact. So I would, could step in and provide science, you know, behind those arguments. And then the organizers might, in this case, an organizer might work to to reach out to other environmental partners to for instance um, kind of sign on well it could literally be a sign-on letter to the epa saying like these groups support this this position that more needs to be done to address aviation emissions so that's kind of how one way you can see these these three parts kind of come together and our program Maybe this is a bit of an aside, but the the climate program, our work is largely focused in a lot of our work is focused in California. We do have a federal component, but a lot focused in California because California is you know seen as a you know green and and climate leader globally. So the idea is if we push California to do more than the rest of the country, and then the world would follow. So we we do aim a lot of our efforts in in California. Um, another campaign I work on is, you know, electric vehicles. And here, Governor Newsom recently said, you know, 100% electric vehicle sales by 2035. And we were actually calling for 2030. So I wrote a report, you know, last year about why it should be 2030 versus 2035. And and there was actually an aviation report about why this rule is bad and why we need to, what, what more should be done and based on, you know, historically what has been done, what more could be done. Um so that's some of the things <laughs> um that are done, yeah.
0: Well, that's so cool. So it's it's really yeah, it's very much like science policy. Can you give me an idea of like kind of what the day-to-day is like? I guess when you're working remotely and when you might be in the office.
1: It depends on what kind of the campaign goals are for the year, but, you know, speaking about last year um, so I wrote the, this aviation report and this electric vehicle report. So that those a report takes can take several months um, because there's a what do we want this report to say? What's the purpose of the report? So kind of these conversations around that, and then producing an initial draft of a report, and then getting feedback on that, and then a final draft of the report, and then and then there's this production process after that of, you know, cuz we have um people who will design and you know put, you know, put out the final like make it, you know, a final, you know, presentable product. Um so so that actually consumed a lot of last year work in writing the two reports which um I haven't typically in the past written a couple of rep- like two reports in a year, um but um outside of that, um other things I've done recently is, you know, with this you know, potential to to sue over this aviation standard. Um, I I wrote a a declaration as to kind of the health harms associated with um, local local air pollution resulting from aircraft. So um, that's something that an example of contributing directly to the legal aspect of it is this you know declaration to be part of a, a suit if that's if that's to be filed. Um, there's So there's a combination of of longer projects and kind of one off things like I will just get like someone asking a question or or do what information do we do we have on this. Um, We're I I mentioned how we're doing work on electric vehicles and so when you're talking about batteries you're talking about lithium ion batteries right now, so then that leads into lithium mining so like that's actually an example of a project that's across programs because we care about lithium because we're talking about electric vehicles. The Energy Justice program cares about lithium because they're talking about, you know, in general energy storage, you know, when we're talking about this transition to renewables. And then public lands people, you know, care about, and, and endangered species people care about kind of species impacts if you're talking about lithium mining. Um, so that, so something I'm doing for that is, we really need to lay up the land of kind of what's known about lithium extraction and what are some of the pitfalls and what do we support what don't we support because we you know support this transition to renewables but we don't want to promote something that's you know not sustainable and damaging the environment in other ways so like that that leads to me coming up with a kind of a a, science, a summary of like all like the, the state of things w- with regards to lithium and extraction and and then that'll kind of inform the next steps in terms of you know what we what we say about lithium in the future um so longer term stuff shorter term stuff because that would be kind of a, a medium term kind of thing like maybe that'll take me a month or so to put together and then uh Another aspect of the work is actually media, which is something I will say I can't say I enjoy it, but um i I've been told I do okay at it, and it's kind of like oh i I don't like doing it, but I do it well enough where people want me to do it more, so it's kind of a <laughs> um and it's funny because when I apply it to the job, um uh, my advisor you know will um He's like, Oh, how do you think you'll do with all this media stuff? You think you want or can do that? And I was like, I can and I, I believe I literally said, I can talk when I need to <laughs> So um that's so that is a significant part of the work. Um like these requests will come in. I remember one of the most recent things was Euro News somehow it trickled down through the center to me that they wanted to have someone on about, you know, this hurt past hurricane season, you know, was, was historic, and they wanted someone to talk about the link between climate change and, you know, hurricane, landfall hurricane intensity. So day of I have to do this kind of live interview about climate change and hurricane intensity. That's you know, was sent all over Europe, so I've never, so I didn't actually see it on TV, but it was over there. Um, I think they might have sent me the recording of it. Um, And, but there's also like writing op-eds, you know, and radio and, yeah, once again, TV. So that's the, the other aspect of it. And those are often short notice kind of things because, you know, media moves quickly. So, you know, sometimes it's the day of, like, maybe if I'm lucky, I get a couple of days' notice. And that's probably actually why I don't like it as much is because it's so, such short notice, and I'm a person who likes to be prepared, um, which actually might have been a, a bit of a conflict in grad school, actually, in that I was just very methodical, let me plan out every single thing before I start an experiment, and my advisor was very big picture, like, let's Let's go yeah. out and do it. And that'll only take you a couple of days, right? And I'm like, no, that's gonna take me a month. Like, that's not that's not true. Um but yeah, so I yeah, so that kind of covers covers some of the work.
0: Um I had a question about the lithium mining because I am always hearing i feel like when i whenever i'm talking about electric vehicles just like in casual conversation a lot of people to be like but the lithium mining so i'm so curious like what you think personally like do you think we should still like build a lot of electric vehicles like do you think the lithium mining problem can be you know can be okay
1: so so i'm just starting to jump into this area but i know there's um so there's kind of lithium mining which is kind of you think kind of like the strip mining for coal which is kind of you know not great you deal with things like you can deal with things like similar to coal mining like acid mine drainage and things that just harm the the environment so that's that's one way and then another way is through lithium from brine so you're pumping water out of the ground and you're putting it up in a in a pool and you're letting the water evaporate leaving the lithium behind but that leads to kind of um potential impacts on water resources and um kind of changes in water flow in the subsurface so there those those are the issues associated with that there's a third way which is not kind of reach commercial scale which is um the di- direct lithium extraction where you do pump water out of the ground and you kind of strip what you want out of it and then you inject it back into the ground now that's being put out there as kind of a more sustainable way to do it. Um, but that's ultimately my job with the the um, science summary is to figure out like how much of that, how much of it is good and how much isn't. Um, this It will become more and more of a, a concern, you know, definitely, you know, as we are talking about, you know, these transitions and everyone's talking about renewables and it's definitely going to be an opposing force that's saying, well, this isn't, you know, that's sustainable, because now you need all of this lithium. Um, so that is something, you know, we preemptively want to, you know, we want to get in front of. Um, I, I do think it's still worth it to, you know, continue the transition, and and we need to think, when we're talking about lithium, think about, you know, our recycling system, because that's not really scaled up that well, like an old battery recycling a battery to, to get the lithium back. Um, there are other there are other um, metal ions you can use in batteries that may be more, you could, I think zinc is one where like perhaps you could more sustainably extract it or at least not have such a burden on lithium. Although lithium itself is very um, abundant, you know, in our, in Earth's crust, but um, yeah. So it is something like we've we've identified as we're gonna have to have no, A lot. We are going to have to know about this, you know, if we're going to be pushing for what we're pushing for, because we can't be blind to the fact that there are going to be these concerns on the other side in terms of sourcing the materials we need for these batteries. Um, But um, I think there is a way to sustainably do it. So I think we. We should still be pushing for, you know, this transition away, away from fossil fuels.
0: Cool. Yeah. And I guess. Yeah, it's like there's a lot of lithium in water. I guess it's probably just energy intensive to strip it out from the water and then reinject it. Is that?
1: That is another thing, yeah, because um, if you need energy to extract, where is that energy coming from? So, so there. yeah, these are all these angles we have to consider. Um, and is this truly sustainable? Um, ultimately, I think the answer will, will be, be yes, that there, there's a way where it's, we're moving toward something that's better than what we're leaving behind.
0: Yeah. So are the reports that you write, are they publicly available?
1: They are publicly available and like on our, on our website, um, biological org. And we, the goal with report, well, not the goal. One of the goals is to a define, you know, kind of define what our, what our asks are. But, um, when we do put out a report, we do, put out a press release in case you know there is media interest you know and someone wants to ask more about it um which um can or can't can or sometimes does work out sometimes doesn't it depends on like last year was tough in terms of reports because there was so much (laughs) going on election and covid and um but yeah so the the goal is for them to you know be out there publicly so people can look at them
0: so yeah okay so you've left academia. Do you like, are you you happy that you left academia? I mean, it sounds like you really like your job. And so do you see yourself like continuing on in this science policy path? And I guess kind of with that question, like, do you have advice for other people who might want to leave academia and go kind of in a science policy direction?
1: I am happy I left. Um, I, I do enjoy the work I do now. And I'll preface by saying I've always very much respected what's behind academia, like, you know, knowledge for knowledge's sake, like, I, I, I subscribe to that. I I like that, you know, you, you do an experiment, it's like, someone at some point, you know, will hopefully be able to get something from this and go forward with it. Like, um, with that said, you know, what I do now is not that what I do now is, you know, I read a ton of science papers, you know, that it's like putting that towards a specific purpose, which I do, I do enjoy. So I, I for that reason, I think the transition was good for me. Um, the advice I have. I One thing, you know, I, I gathered when I was, you know, trying to figure out how to transition, like, in, in reading different things was really realizing what experience you have from having a PhD or even, you know, going through a program like that. It's like, you just have to realize that and leverage it in the right way. So, in the case of when I was applying for this job, um, like I said, like part of the interview, I actually spoke with our media specialist, who's the person who like kind of works to get our, our message out there to the media through press releases, getting us interviews and things like that. And one question I remember being asked was, A, we did a mock interview, but after that, one question I remember being asked was, how, did I have any experience with media? And I said, no, but, you know, I did do, uh, I just think about my, you know, dissertation defense where like, you know, I'm being asked, you know, I'm presenting something and I'm being asked questions in real time and kind of have to think off the cuff about how to answer and stuff like that. And he said, oh, I, I, you know, I really didn't think about how that, you know, kind of has like this corollary with, you know, doing media interviews. Um, But that was kind of an example of, let me take something that an experience I have and kind of kind of show how it applies. And, you know, of course, I applied to a, to work in a climate program, which is funny because, you know, they have an oceans program and I did more oceanography. So at the time I was thinking, oh, that would have been nice if they had like a job in oceans or something. But I'm very happy with, you know, the program I'm in for sure. So with my project, you know, my um my dissertation, it had. I kind of leveraged the fact that ultimately the reason, the importance of this project is trying to characterize something that is being impacted or the result of climate change. Do you know, these changes in oxygen concentrations, and so that was something like so. For that reason, I'm thinking about climate all the time, and you know, my work now, so I can transition over and do that in this work going forward. And in general, like one thing you know, I learned, got out of grad school, out of many things is, you know, how to do research and how to write. (laughs) And I do a lot of writing and a lot of research now. And I, and it's almost like I I take it for granted, like, you know, just skimming through a paper or, you know, writing, summarizing a paper or knowing that, you know, you don't have to, you know, read the abstract, read the methods, read the, you know, results and, you know, that part of the paper and stuff like that. So it's, so those are things that, Um, skills that I got from going through the grad school process that are really serving me now in a different way. And it was, the key was just to realize that there are, you do get like real viable skills that don't just like can apply to more than academia when you go through like the grad school process and you can take those forward and, and do more with them
0: yeah um okay so you are a black man who went through earth science education program which is like a famously white uh area um in sciences unfortunately and i wonder if you could talk a little bit about like what that was like for you if it like impacted your education or career at all and i i guess also how you kind of think about that um in the space you're in now at the center for biological diversity
1: yeah sure um so once again everything is kind of from the perspective of looking back now because in the moment so so i can go as far back as high school in high school i i went to a school that was half white and half black and then and of course i went to princeton which was maybe some eight percent black and i mean there were you know there are numerous other you know um people of color um, but still majority white white university and then i come to usc and then within that i was in an earth sciences program or a geosciences program and then then you come to usc where it's where it's similar um so talking about princeton i just relied more on you know, if we're talking about like a sense of community with other people of color, I just relied on at Princeton especially, like everyone kinda of formed their own community. Like everyone had like a you'd like you gravitate towards the people you gravitated towards. And I had a good group of friends so it didn't affect me in I mean, in in the geosciences department there was actually very small anyway. There were only five when I graduated there were only five majors in, in terms of undergrads. Um so but you know I did I was aware of the you know <laughs> the lack of diversity in that there was I can think now like there was one black professor and I was like oh one black professor like I immediately like you know gravitated towards that or like there was um one Indian professor who wanted me to go into geochemistry and I disappointed him <laughs> he wanted me to go to Penn State actually um to do soil chemistry. Um but so there was an awareness there, but I think I think it's kind of being conditioned unfortunately to like this is how things are. You know, like like it's just this is just the is of things. This is just how things are. Um and similar with um USC, this is the way things are and you know, for my first few years I was the like I was the only black person in the building, you know, and then <laughs> and then that changed to two black people in the building. Um, so once again, like an awareness, but at the same time, like this is just how things are. Um, but funny, finally reaching the point now with the work I do now, um, I've kind of been able to go back and look at that a little more closely. And like we've done DEI trainings where I work now. and with some microaggression and with some aggression aggression <laughs> and i you know i did have a, some of that at USC um not from my advisor like in terms of you know like we i feel like we actually got along pretty well we kind of understood each other in a well i understood him i don't know he might have never understood me <laughs> um but um um, I actually, you know, he's a little sarcastic. I'm kind of sarcastic, so I think it worked in some ways. Um, but I did have a a moment. I remember someone who's actually I would consider a friend of mine asked me how I, like, basically what my funding situation was, you know, like, um, and I was like, oh. I, you know, have this fellowship and it covers, you know, these years. And, and it was like, you know, at, at USC, a, a good fellowship. And and this person said to me, oh, it must be nice to be a minority. and And it was one of those, like, I, in the moment, didn't even know how to respond. And then I thought about how screwed up that was. Later, um, and you know, because it's like, oh, it's not that you know, I, I did well in Princeton, and that's why I got this fellowship. Like, oh, it must be because you're black, and like that's the only reason why you would get this fellowship. So, so some of that stuff, so that has happened, um, and and. Like i said now especially you know with um kind of dei and black lives matter and all these things coming more to the public consciousness i am going back and assessing you know why is it just the way things are like that's that's not the way to think of it it should be you know what what can we do to change that or bring attention to it so i like I said while in the moment and i'll i'll attribute a bit of it also like oh i was you know, we're talking about from when I was in high school to my early 20s or whatever. So Um, that, you know, I was, and I'm not to bring down the South at all, but I'm from the South. And it's just like, there's kind of this underlying, I've always, I've told people in the past, like when I going back, I'm being a a gay person and going back to, to Georgia, like I would feel like the kind of like, some of the oppression, like, come back to my shoulders a little bit. Like, oh, I have to not act this way. I have to be this way because, you know, people look at those things here. Another reason, probably, why I came to L. A. is that I was like, oh, I want to be free to to be who I am. Um, so, yeah. So I I'm. I would like to see you know more diversity in the sciences and in earth sciences, you know, in particular, since that's the you know the field I come from um and you know not just accept it as like this is just the way things are and instead look at you know why is that the way things are and with our work now there's been a conscious effort to to get a diversity of voices around certain issues because when you're talking about climate change you're not just talking about climate change you're talking about environmental justice because those people are going to be impacted um, by climate, are going to be disproportionately low-income people of co- and people of color. So um, it's really seeing the intersectionality of things is is really an important part of our work now, and that's really um, kind of allowing me to assess, you know, kind of what things were like before for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, do you have ideas for what? I guess, earth science or like single departments can do to better support people of color in departments and in science?
1: Better support people of color. Um,
0: Or just make it a more inclusive um, community.
1: Well, I'll say at kind of the department level, you probably will inspire more students if they see professors who are people of color. Um we've kind of run into this like where I work now in terms of hiring where I ended up pointing out that I feel like, you know, cuz the center has devoted itself to, you know, DEI principles, but I was like that doesn't seem to be reflected currently in our program in terms of hiring. So, um I think there needs to be if for my work now, I my thought was that there needs to be more effort to recruit a diversity of candidates and if you're and in the case of where i work we we tend to do we tend to collect like have a set of three or so finalists for like a position and it's and i think it shouldn't be that all of those are are white men or or what have you um it should be a conscious effort to go out and find diversity as as opposed to going with this idea that that oh these are just the most qualified people i feel like if that's what you're saying then you probably haven't searched hard enough like search harder you know um so in the case of you know uh academic department when you're bringing in all these people to you know present their research and you know for the the faculty to consider then don't just bring in people who all look the same or you know or on top of that, with are like, I don't know the process of hiring a professor, to be frank, but um, when you're part of the. The process of. You know, hiring a professor is what is your. Like asking what's your. Level of commitment to DEI? you know, maybe that should be part of the, the questions, you know, is, you know, because that will trickle down to what students you consider or what um, postdocs you consider what what other, you know, lab techs you consider. And, and finally, maybe just assessing what, what your standards are for someone being qualified, like, is that really what's required for this person to do well? Or is it just what you're, you're used to, or, like, maybe bring someone that's a little different will serve to benefit the the department?
0: Yeah, I really like that, especially the just, like, look harder. Like, I've heard of faculty searches where they have 300 people apply and then they have to interview, like, six people. And it's, like, if you end up, like, I've seen searches that are almost all white men, and it's, like, well, if you end up with that, like, was there really not anyone qualified that wasn't a white dude and those 300 people, <laughs> like, um, yeah, it's a great point. And I also think, like, I guess I can imagine that if you are, like, and I guess I'm kind of projecting, so you feel free to be, like, nah, but I guess if, if I'm, like, applying to work somewhere, you know, you kind of, if you already see yourself, like, represented there somewhat or, like, someone like you, then it might be, you're, like, oh, well, maybe that's already, like, a safe-ish space. Like, if I was applying somewhere and it was, like, all white men, like, no women, I'd be, like, what's going on here? Like, is there something... Is there something off here? So I guess even like that part of representation probably helps as well. Just like make the space a little safer.
1: Yeah, I feel it's very important representation. Um, yeah, if you see people who like yourself, you're like, Oh, this is a place that welcomes people like me <laughs> So um I mean there's some, you know, chicken and egg aspect to that. Like how do you get those people there mm-hmm. in the first place? And you know, there's a there's a a systemic you know issue with with all of it, but you know you know gotta gotta get started somewhere,
0: yeah, and i guess yeah it's interesting to think like i guess i you let's see did you what year did you start at u s c two thousand nine two thousand nine yeah yeah, so i guess like in in the kind of like ten or 12 years since i guess there is it does seem like there's more of like a conversation especially in the last year with black lives matter it seems like there is at least more conversation and hopefully there's going to be more progress in the next 10 years i guess
1: yeah i hope so um and you know i'm one who you know i i do think you know things are better than they were a decade ago and a couple of decades ago. So I acknowledge that, you know, progress is being made and, you know, people are trying to adopt more of these principles or being forced to, you know, because, you know, how how is USC going to look if they're not on board with something like this? Or how's the department going to look if they're not on board with something like this? Um, So I am hopeful that, you know, as, you know, time continues on that, you know, these issues will become less and less.
0: Well, John, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. That's our show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.